Uh, there was a holiday this past week. I'm curious if you know what it was. It was uh, on June 19th. Um, it was last Wednesday. And it's one that has deep significance in the history of this country. It's called Juneteenth. An odd name, sure, but it's one uh, that celebrates the significance of the emancipation of slavery in the United States of America. Now, dating back to 1865, it was on June 19th that the Union soldiers led by Major General uh, Gordon Granger, Triple G, landed in Galveston, Texas, with news that the war had ended and that those who were enslaved were now set free. It's important to note that this was the full two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation had been signed. It was on January 1st, 1863, that President Lincoln signed that into action, but it took an entire two and a half years for the Union troops to be able to get down to Texas and to share this news that those who were enslaved were now set free. June 19th has become the primary day in which we celebrate the emancipation of slavery in the United States of America. The problem was that those who were enduring slavery didn't know that they had already been emancipated. They just didn't know it yet. They, were certainly, they certainly wanted to be free. They just weren't aware of it yet, right? They, they, they had to wait for peace to prevail. They were longing for something greater, longing for something that was beyond themselves, something that would free them entirely from their brokenness and frustration and the hardship of slavery day in and day out. And they had to wait another two and a half years after this was signed into action. They didn't know that they were waiting for their emancipation, which existed just beyond the horizon, right? We can celebrate this day and be tremendously grateful that institutionalized slavery is a thing of the past, and I am so excited about that, honestly. But... But there are different forms of slavery which live on today. There's different forms of slavery. There's different things of injustice that prevail today. White supremacy and racial bigotry are unfortunately not an entirely thing of the past. Unfortunately, those live on today. Although as a white male do not feel the same effects as those of my brothers and sisters of color. I know that together we long for something that is greater, something that is better, a greater freedom, a lasting peace that prevails. We're all waiting for that in some capacity. I'm skeptical that this lasting peace will be achieved in any of our lifetimes. I believe that this lasting peace is something that we will continue to wait for, something that is greater than what politics have to offer, something that is greater than what we can do as humanity to fix this. We have to wait for something greater, something beyond us, something that each one of us awaits this very morning. We continue to wait for true freedom, for a lasting peace that prevails, for freedom which makes the injustices of this day a thing of the past. This morning, before we get too serious, we are going in a series on experiencing God. And we're going to go in a little bit of a different direction. This morning, I want us to explore what it means to experience God in the ultimate sense. To experience him while we wait for what is on the horizon. While we wait for our final freedom. 
We're going to be hopping into a ridiculously difficult text to interpret this morning. But I felt like God was leading us here. So we're going to read it today. We're going to be reading from a book, the last book that was written in the Bible. It's Revelation. That's right. We're going into the belly of the beast. All right. Here we go. So um, now it's important to know that Revelation was written for a very different audience than us today. It was written for early Christians who were navigating the difficulty and the ongoing oppression and persecution that they had to endure from the Roman Empire. That's the audience that this book was written to. And this book is a book about hope. It's a book about waiting. It's a book about waiting for what's on the other side of the horizon, on the other side of this life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and then we're going to hop into our text for this morning. Jesus, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that we have access to you, God. We have access to you based on what you have done, Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you have a heart that longs to see every right, sorry, every wrong made right. Lord, I thank you that you long to see injustice gone. You long to see that happen. And Lord, as we just dive into this text, I ask that you would use the words of my mouth to glorify you. Anything that is of me, I just say, be gone. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak powerfully this morning to each heart in this room. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in your name. All right, would you turn in your Bibles with me to the last book of the Bible? We are going to be hopping into Revelation Uh, Chapter 21. Again, Revelation 21, verses 1 to 7 for now. And before we start reading, I want you to keep an eye out for what God might be saying here, what God is feeling here. You have to remember that the entirety of the Bible is leading up to these last two chapters here. And so I want you to think about what might God be experiencing in this moment as we read. You can follow along on the screen or in your Bibles. Revelation 21, 1 to 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Weird imagery. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. For the old order of things will have passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega. That means I am the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. 
Now, this is a weird section of scripture if you've never read it before, right? There's some weird images in here. There's a a new heaven, and then there's a new earth, and then there's this city that's descending from the clouds, and it's invading earth, and somehow it's dressed like a bride. What does this mean? This is wild, right? Is this symbolic? Is this literal? What's going on here? And this morning, I'm not going to get into whether this is symbolic or literal. Scholars have argued this for two millennia. I'm not really interested in that. What I'm interested in is what God has to say here. I'm interested in what the content of what God is speaking here. That's what I want to focus on this morning. God says something so absolutely profound that I want us to dive into that. We read this fascinating phrase. It's a phrase that's tucked throughout scripture all over the place. Beginning in Genesis and going all the way to Revelation. It appears 50 times. More than 50 times in the book of Revelation. Or the book of Ezekiel. Excuse me. And this reality has been anticipated since before the foundation of the world. What is it? It's in verse 3. And it says this concerning God's people. It says they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And when we, what we see here is the first point that I want to I get across today. God has always had one primary desire. He wants to be our God forever. And it might sound weird. God has several desires, but I want to clarify what I mean. God has had one primary desire. He wants to be our God forever. I mean, God is God, period, right? He just is God. There's nothing that you can do to make him not God, right? He is God. But what he wants, what he desires, is that a people would recognize that, that a people would understand that, and that they would live in light of that. And he wants a people who understand the authority that he bears in their lives, and he wants them to submit to it. God wants you to worship him for who he is. He wants to be your God forever. And we see here in verse 3 that God will be with them and he will be their God. And here in this chapter we see that God's desire is being actualized finally. Right? We see that God's people have come together to recognize that they belong to him. They belong to him first and foremost. That is their primary identity as a son, a daughter of God. And we see that God has not just invited humanity to enjoy this relationship with him, but we, here we see that God has a people who love him freely, who worship him by their choice. There's no compulsion here. God has invited them to relationship, and they have chosen to accept that invitation and to be his people. I want to ask a, a weird question. I want to ask, why do you think God wants to be our God? Why do you think God wants to be worshipped? Let's say it that way. Why do you think God wants to be worshipped? Now, it may sound like God is self-conscious, perhaps. It may sound like he just wants other people or his creation to like him because he's insecure about who he is. Maybe. I mean, in our world today, we can pretty much automatically assume that the reason that anybody would desire praise is because they're, they're really insecure. And they're really <laughs> trying to, to get their security from other people. And I can speak to that myself. I remember being a seventh grader, right? I remember being in seventh grade, and I remember that I always needed a girlfriend, right, at all times. <laughs> or should I say a friend that was a girl? Um, I didn't know. <laughs> but what I needed 
was what I wanted desperately, I should say. I wanted somebody to tell me that I was worth something. I wanted somebody to tell me that who I was mattered. Who I was was significant. And it was out of a place of insecurity because I didn't know who I was. And so I was looking to get that from other people. And it wasn't until high school that I realized, okay, I can start to be secure in who I am, right? Thankfully, I'm still not that way. But we all are in some capacity, right? We all have that insecurity that's like, oh, I want them to like me so that I can feel better about myself or something, right? But this is not how it is with God. This is not what's going on with God. God is so tremendously secure in himself. He is so radically secure in who he is that he wants to invite others into relationship with him to experience how great he is. And the reason that God is so secure in who he is is because he's made all of this. He's determined right from wrong. He's determined good from bad. He's determined insecurity and security. He knows what all of these things are. He's the one who defines it all. And he is secure in his creation. Right? We can trust that he is more secure in who he is than you can ever be in who you are. God is secure in who he is. So you may say, okay, God is secure in who he is. But if that's the case, all right, Jesse, isn't, isn't he being a little um, conceited? Isn't he being a little arrogant or maybe even, dare I say, a little prideful for wanting to be worshipped, right? What I think is going on here is that God knows who he is. In verse 6 and 7, we read this. He says, I am the Alpha. And the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God. And they will be my children. God knows his place. He's created everything from the beginning to the end. And he has the authority to get what he wants. And what he wants is not to be praised out of a place of insecurity. That's what we often want. What God wants is for you to enjoy who he is with him. My friends, this is love. And this is love because we know that when God is our God, we are fully accepted, we are fully known, and we are fully loved. This is what it means to be in relationship with God. When we let God be our God, that's what that means. And he wants you to be able to enjoy that forever, that privilege forever. Simply put, God wants to be your God forever. For those of us who are willing to make God our God, this reality is just on the horizon. It's just around the corner, just around the bend. And it leads me to my second point. That's what I want to share with you today. That's that we will soon experience perfect harmony with God. We will experience God in the fullness of who he is. And we will experience that fullness perfectly. Aren't you excited for that? This is so incredible that God is excited to be able to reveal himself fully to us. And we get to enjoy that. That's right around the corner. It's coming so soon. God is going to make the world as it should be. This should inspire hope in you. And God is adamant. He's committed to righting all the wrongs of this world that are so prolific. Just as those enduring slavery had to wait For their emancipation, they found a freedom from that slavery, finally. And for us today, it's not the same kind of slavery. It's different. It's a different thing that we endure. We endure various injustices, and it looks different for different people in this room, right? But our deliverance is on the horizon. 
Our hope is coming. It is coming quickly. And soon our pain will be a thing of the past, my friends. I want to turn back to verses 4 and 5 because we cannot miss this. This is so huge. We read this. I don't want to jump over this. He says, God, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. No more mourning. No more crying. No more pain. Can you imagine a world where there is no more pain? Guys, this is what our promise is. And how do we know that? God says the old order of things has passed away. And then he says this. He says, he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. He said, write this down. Write this down because these words are trustworthy and true. If you don't write this down, my people won't have a hope. My people will not have a hope. God made sure that these verses were included so that they would be believed. And paints the picture of what we hope to experience in the coming kingdom. We take God at his word here. He says these words are trustworthy and true. And what we are awaiting is for God to do what only he can do. We believe that God has the power to wipe away the effects of sin once and for all in a moment. But he's chosen to wait. He has a greater plan in mind than we can conceive of. And the Bible is clear that God is patiently waiting to make the world as it should be. He's patiently waiting for this. But my friends, it is on the horizon. It is coming quickly. Another aspect of this reality that this coming perfect harmony with God is that we will experience God face to face, which is a weird idea. But back in the book of Exodus, Moses Asked to see God face to face. He said, I have one request, God. Just let me see your face. And God said, no. (laughs) God said, Moses, you can't handle that. You cannot handle the truth of my face, right? You can't handle this, Moses, right? But there is a coming day. And there's no barrier between us and God whatsoever. And we read in the next chapter in 22.4, it says, they... Being God's people, they will see his face. God's people will see his face. And we will see God perfectly for all that he is. And this means that we will have full access to God. No more times of waiting and prayer. No more death. Guys, no more death. Can you imagine that world? Where things are as they should be. This is what's coming. There's no more pain. No more grief. No more trauma. God is coming and this is what we look forward to. Friends, this is the end of the story. This is it. This is what we look forward to as Christians. As a world where there's no more pain and just Jesus. It's going to be so good. This is what our future holds, is perfect relationship with God Almighty. But, here's the thing. God will not provide this relationship for everyone. He's going to provide it for those who are willing to make God their God in this life. And what God provides right here and right now in this book is an invitation to that life. He says in verse 6, he says this, To the thirsty I give water. I give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And what he's saying here is, to the thirsty, do you want this? Do you want this hope? Do you want this kind of relationship with me, this perfect harmony that I'm promising you? The question I want to ask some of you this morning is, are you thirsty? 
Are you thirsty this morning for God? Are you done with the the senseless violence of this world? Done with the scary political milieu that we're finding ourselves in? Done with suffering of those who don't deserve it? Are you done? Don't you yearn for something more, something greater, something that exists beyond the horizon? The God of the universe wants to become the God of your life. Are you willing to receive him for who he is, to recognize his authority in your life? Because God longs for you to see him in this way. He desires for you to see that he's here to provide life to you if you're thirsty enough for it. And God's invitation is for you to recognize his authority and to submit to it. Friends, this reality beckons us to live our lives very differently. I think with this reality, it it calls us to want to live our lives in a different way. Because if we know that this hope is existing on the other side, that changes how we live our lives today. It should. And one of my favorite scholars named N.T. Wright, he's a bishop from across the pond, And he says it this way in his book, The Day the Revolution Began. It's huge. He says, like most Christians today, I started my thinking about Jesus' death with the assumption from what I had been taught that the death of Jesus was all about God saving me from my sin so that I could go to heaven. And that, of course, can be quite a revolutionary idea for someone who's never thought of it before. But it's not quite the revolution the early Christians were talking about. They were talking about something bigger, something more dangerous, something altogether more explosive. Jesus died to make us not rescued non-entities, but restored human beings with a vocation to play a vital part in God's purposes for the world. And I want to say for God's purposes in the world today. And what N.T. Wright is articulating is that we need to live in light of this reality here and now. And it leads me to my last point, and this is what I want to challenge you with today. I want you to fulfill God's desire for you. I want you to let God be your God today. God's invitation is for you to follow him in light of what he has done for you. And if you get anything from today, I want, you to, I want you to consider, what does that mean to let God be my God today? And it's going to be different for different ones of us in this room. Some of you have never given your life to Jesus before and have never opened yourself up to the authority of God and saying, God, I want to, I want to be in submission to that because I know of the hope that exists. And I know of the hope and the promise that you have caused to come into action. And I want to be a part of that. God, I'll be willing to submit my life to you because that is compelling. And seeing what you've done in the past clues me in on that's what you will do in the future. There's others of us in this room. You may already have accepted Jesus as your authority in this world, in this life. But making God the God of your life looks like bringing his kingdom to earth now. It means we have a vocation, we have a purpose, we have a responsibility here and now to bring heaven to earth in what we think, in what we say, and in what we do. My friends, Jesus is inviting you to let him be your God. Jesus is knocking at the door, and he is simply asking the question to you, what would it look like for you to give me the keys to your life? For you to trust in my authority. He's never going to force you to follow him, right? He will empower you to make the decision of whether you want to or not. And I know that choosing to let Jesus be your God is the far better decision. 
far better choice. Choosing to let Jesus have the authority in your life to convict you of your sins, but more importantly, to love you when you need to be comforted. To bless you because you are his child. This is what God offers to you. And this is what Jesus gives to you freely. My duty is to make you aware of that. It's up to you on how you want to respond to that.